0: Amen, amen. Thankful for you guys that have given today. Thankful for those that are serving today, particularly in our children's department. I had an opportunity to be with our children this past Wednesday night, and uh, I'll be honest, it was glorious chaos. <laughs> to God be the glory chaos. It was just incredible, uh, wonderful ministry that Miss Rhonda has that the Lord is just really moving in, and it certainly validates all of our prayers and thoughts that, that we need to be moving toward finding space. There were over 100 children Wednesday night, and uh, we have kids that are learning Bible verses in closets. Uh, we had second grade teachers that came. Uh, to me, and we were talking with some of the second grade teachers. That class has already been split. I think one of those second grade classes had like 13 or 14, and the other one had about 13 or 14. That's in second grade. Those classes need to be split again. Just to be honest, it's very very hard for a teacher to uh, teach one on one the word uh, a scripture verse. It's an Awana is a is a scripture memorization program, so it's very hard one on one. Teachers, you have two at a class. So, two teachers have one on one with kids. Then there's, there's 10 behind them who are um, acting fantastic and just sit so quiet, right? And so um, I'm just telling you, the Lord is doing a work here. It's a wonderful problem to have running out of workers and running out of space, but, but it definitely is a problem. Um, on March the 19th, that is a Sunday, uh, Brother Justin's going to present some numbers to you guys on what, uh, what a potential facility could look like here on our campus. Uh, it is completely rough draft but, uh, but we've had a team that has looked at things for about a year and, and uh, we we're working through some numbers right now and you and I both know that numbers can change and so uh, so we're going to talk through that a little bit on March the 19th. We encourage you guys to be there for that. There's also in the foyer uh, we are signing up for our small groups. So we've got three small groups that you can sign up for, Uh, three Sunday nights in March, that's all we're doing this time around, normally we go about eight weeks, this time around it's three Sunday nights in March, we have three small groups, one of them is a marriage small group, I'm very excited about that. We have a couple of counselors that are coming in. One counselor from Wellspring is coming in. His name is Bryce Landwehr, just a fantastic, sharp guy. Another guy that's coming, his name is Adam Calvert, a very sharp guy as well. And Joel Frederick from Grace Life will be be with us one of those Sunday nights. That's in our marriage small group. We have a general Bible study that is going to be downstairs in our student room that uh, Chris Thomas is going to lead. And then we have a financial group uh, class that Lance Northcutt is going to lead. And so you can sign up for those groups out there, three groups, 6 o'clock. It'll start the first three Sunday nights in March. Uh, we'll, we'll coordinate food and we'll fellowship after those classes together as a church family. I encourage you guys to sign up uh, and be a part of this. Uh, Ephesians chapter number 5 is where we're going today. Ephesians number 5, my wife is in the nursery, so she told me to be fast today, not to be long. And... Uh, Ephesians chapter number 5 is where we're going today. We're in a series entitled Live Together where we have focused on relationships that God has placed us in within the church. Uh, We've spent several weeks focusing on the body of Christ and uh, and our relationship together that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. This morning at Mud Creek Baptist Church, loved those people there. Um, Had a wonderful time with them, worshiping with them. There are brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and and I talked about Jesus dying on the cross and uh, and him saying, "Hey, John, take care of my mother," and it, and it just blows my mind. It fills my heart up with so much just wonder and joy and 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 mystery to see Mary there experiencing everything that she experienced, watching her son die on the cross. It is a it is a it is a, um, it is a uh, 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 controversial statement to make and to claim in this day and age, but Jesus is the Son of God, and He is why we are here. He is Lord, and He is the head of the body, His church, not just Union Hill, but the church across the world encompassing many, many, many denominations. Uh, Jesus is the head of the body, and we are His body. We are growing. We are His representation on the earth. Uh, we uh, We are His hands, His feet. And the gospel is lived out through us where we work, where we live, and where we play. Think about that, where you work, where you live, where you play. The gospel has the power to not only change us personally, but to change the world in which we live in. I believe that. If I didn't believe that, I I think i need to pack up shop and quit preaching because the gospel has the power. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in many of your lives. When someone who is a, a, a terrible person comes to the Lord and repents, and Jesus fills up that person with himself, with his Holy Spirit, that person changes, and I've seen that change in so many folks here. We continue in this series talking about life together, and we've, we've walked a little bit through the book of Ephesians, just to be honest, and we get to chapter 5. Two weeks ago, I started chapter 5 or started teaching this thought process that, that, that the Ephesian church is, is receiving families. And so when you talk about life together within the body, you gotta talk about, you got to talk about our families. you got to talk about husbands and wives, and that's what he does first. And then, then he gets into talking about uh, parenting having children and, and those thought processes. And so we want to continue in that sermon on marriage. And, uh, and, and I dealt uh, a lot last two weeks ago with, with Genesis 2 and where marriage uh, is really founded in. It's founded in, uh, upon God's plan, upon God's purposes. But we're answering this question, how do wives and husbands, how do husbands and wives uh, relate to one another uh, within the body of Christ, within their own marriage. A couple of weeks ago, we saw from Genesis one and two that one reason, one reason, or we can change the screen. One reason uh, that God created marriage between a man and a woman is that He saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone. For man to be alone, and we we walk through this idea. Uh, let me catch us up just a little bit. That that loneliness was one reason that God created marriage. It's not all the reasons, but it was definitely one reason. It's certainly one of the first ones that's mentioned there. And often we hear uh, from, uh, from widows how hard loneliness is. The last time I preached any type of marriage uh, series, it's been several years, and uh, I had a widow come to me um, and was just in tears about how she missed all of the things that, that I was talking about, and we have widows in here who, who know what, what loneliness is, and, or maybe widowers in here who know what loneliness is, and, and, uh, and marriage was created by God for that. In fact, Paul says, this is not where the sermon's going today, but Paul says, if you're a widow in here, you are free to remarry. You are free to remarry, and that is that's sometimes just a foreign concept uh, to many uh, widows, and I understand that, but, but loneliness is real. It's real. In fact, if you know a widow in your life, or maybe your mom is a widow, um, it doesn't matter if that pain is recent recent or has been long-term. We need to make sure that our widows are cared for. In fact, uh, a true religion, undefiled religion, is this, to take care of widows and orphans. So the church must do her work taking care of widows as best as that we can. That means picking up a phone and calling, and not just having a two-second conversation but, but having a conversation with someone who's a widow or maybe checking in with them. And our deacons, uh, we talk about that and, and, and a lot of them do that uh, regularly with, with widows in our church to check on them and that kind of thing. But, but that, that topic is certainly there. But God creates woman from Adam's side. From Adam's side. For companionship, partnership, for accountability. Adam sees all the animals have male and female counterparts, and he's wondering, who is there around that fits me? Who's comparable to me? That's what the scripture says. Eve is called, and she's made, and she is called a helper in Genesis 2.18. It's really not a term of weakness. It means, rather, that Adam is insufficient without her. In fact, Deuteronomy 34, the word helper there is used of our God, that he is our helper. And so Eve is someone that will be Adam's life companion to walk alongside her husband, to help him to be successful in everything that God has called him and her to do. Adam has someone to communicate with, to share life with, to be intimate with, to provide for another in loving affection with, and to raise a family with, to have children, to be fruitful and to multiply Eve is taken from Adam, Eve is made for Adam, and in chapter 2, verse 22, God brings Eve to Adam. So the Bible's really laying out an order there. The Lord leading the man and the woman, the Lord calling the man to lead in the marriage, the Lord, the man leading in his wife and in his family. The man and, wo- and woman walking side by side, following the Lord and leading their children. I had an illustration last week where I used an umbrella and my wife is not in here. So it's really going to be hard to to use this illustration. But you got to pay attention just for a second and picture my wife. I'm not using another woman for this illustration. And I'm definitely not using a man for this illustration because that would be... Even worse for a marriage sermon. But my, but my wife, we've walked together under an umbrella. And somebody told me last week or two weeks ago when she was walking and she had my arm and, and I'm walking and I'm holding the umbrella, right? Somebody said, R- really, Mike? Uh, that's a really a bad illustration because normally when this happens, the umbrella is more this way, and and the wife gets about gets wet because she's not under the umbrella. How many women know what I'm talking about when you're? Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, but but the the illustration was there that that we walk through life together, and, and that that the sin in the garden was Adam's passivity, that he allowed Eve to to make a decision there, and he sat beside Eve and said nothing. He said nothing. And so when the sin came through Eve, God showed up at Adam's doorstep first. And so God was holding Adam accountable for his family. And let me give you a heads up in here, men, you are held accountable to what God has given you. In every shape, form, and fashion, all parts of life, I think God is holding me accountable to what I do with the money that comes into the Stevens household. Uh, I think God is holding me accountable to, to my relationship with Aaron. God is holding me account- God's especially holding me accountable because I preach on Sunday. Jesus has a lot to say about hypocrisy. and so for me to stand and proclaim things and then not live them out, God really holds a, a teacher of the word accountable to those things. God certainly holds me accountable to how I raise my children uh, to, uh, to, to nurture them and the fear and admonition of the Lord. God's holding me accountable to all of this, to all of this. And so uh, here was the illustration and we walked together through life, right? And so um, I think that that is a wonderful illustration and then under this umbrella we fall under the umbrella of the Lord, under His umbrella. This is how we're trying to do. And let me just give you a heads up. Everything that we're talking about We've fallen so short. There's no one perfect in here. None. When we talk about a marriage sermon or a marriage series, oftentimes we, we we think about those that haven't been married or those that have been married and divorced, and it would be very easy for someone to ride a spiritual high horse in here and think, well, I've never been divorced, and so we have this uh, step up on somebody that's been divorced, but that is not how the scripture lays it out. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God in this place. And according to the teachings of Jesus on what sexual immorality is, there's a good chance every single one of us in here have committed adultery Uh, because if a man lusts in his heart, then he's committed adultery. So I want us to be very careful in how we uh, point out anyone in here. We need to point at ourselves. This is this is uh, this umbrella that we used last week to illustrate is there's submission here there's submission here from the wife there's submission from the husband there's submission in the text in Ephesians 5 verse 21 from from man and woman in fact everyone in here submits in some shape form or fashion I'm submitting to a church uh, the, the idea of submission is to To make yourself low, to condescend. This is exactly what Christ Jesus does when he leaves heaven. He condescends. He makes himself low and he serves. According to Genesis chapter 1, one reason is for loneliness. Not the only reason, but one reason. Another reason is children. Not talking about that today. Another reason is affection. There's joy in affection. It's okay to say amen there. There is joy in affection. And that is one reason that God has created marriage. But the Ephesians passage in our text gives us another reason that marriage was given by God to be a picture of the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. We specifically see that in verse 32. We read this whole text uh, last time we were here, we read, I think, verses uh, 21 all the way to 33. If you look at verse 32 with me, though, this mystery when Paul talks about wives submitting to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Uh, we get down to verse 32. Paul is, is addressing all of this. He says, this mystery is profound. You think, Paul? Yeah, we're, we're struggling. We're wrestling to know exactly what you mean by a lot of things. And uh, But he says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying this, saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So there's a a greater message that Paul is preaching here than husbands and wives. And what he's doing is, he's saying that marriage is created to show what the gospel looks like. What the relationship is between between, uh, husband and wife should look like the relationship between Christ and and his bride, the church. That, that relationship was going hand in hand. And, and, and what Paul is getting at, and he goes right back to Genesis, a man shall leave his father and mother. and So this thing keeps going back to Genesis. Anytime Jesus teaches on marriage, he goes back to the original standard. A man shall leave his father and mother and, uh, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Right, And so this keeps going back to the Genesis standard here. And so what Paul is doing is he's relating marriage to this relationship that the church has with Jesus, that you have with Jesus. Our marriages become an evangelistic picture of the gospel. I often tell couples in premarital counseling that your marriage is going to be one long sermon preached to the world of who Jesus is. Not a boring sermon. I've preached boring sermons before, right? I have. I've been in boring sermons before, but marriage is one long sermon that'll make Jesus look beautiful, particularly in this context, because Paul talks in chapter four about being, or chapter five earlier in the text, about being filled with the Spirit. And when we're filled with the Spirit, which is the way Christianity works, you can't walk with Christ without being filled with the Spirit. And so as we're filled with the Spirit of the the living God, He enables us to do these things like walk in Christian marriage. It will win the world to Jesus. No wonder we're in the shape we're in these days. The divorce rate is 50%. It's been 50% for a long time, but actually the statistics are lower for those that are in church those who are attended to church, not professing nominal Christians, but those who are committed to Christ. Those statistics are uh, are much lower on divorce. The gospel in your marriage, in our marriages, has the power to win our children to the Lord. There is no greater gift you can give your kid than a Holy Spirit joy-filled marriage. Have you ever thought how you treat your husband or how you treat your wife has the power to either win your children to Christ or push them away from the Lord? As our children, as they see us serve, as they see us have joy together, as they see us have patience and grace and forgiveness, and when we, they see all of that and they couple that With hearing gospel Jesus conversations, what begins to take place in the heart of a child is that they see the gospel in your marriage, in your life. They see it. And then your friends. I had a man call me this past week. Him and his wife had an opportunity. They were around some old friends. They had an opportunity to share about what Jesus meant to them. Their old friends were astonished of what Christ meant into their heart. And as this husband was in the conversation with old friends, this one particular person asked him, so you get something out of church? I just go for the friends. This particular young guy in our church looked back and said, absolutely, my soul is fed. And she said, what about your wife? And he said, well, hold on one second. And he called his wife over, didn't prep her about anything and just said, "Hey, what does church mean? Why are you there?" And she said, "My soul gets fed." <laughs> see, see, this is what the gospel is. It, it, when it's in our marriage, people begin to see this. Somebody said, "Well, you look weird." Yeah, you do. Yes. You're strange. But can I remind you that you are an alien and stranger in this world? That this is not your home. You're passing through. You were made for something so much more than what the earth looks like right now. So be weird. Students, be weird. Who cares? You're not going to see any of those people when you graduate anyway, except on Facebook and your fake friends anyway by the get time to get that time. Just be weird. Be weird in how you date. Be weird in how you talk. Be weird in the things you do. Be strange for Christ. And let the chips fall where they fall. God, help us. There's an evangelistic thread in marriage. And I think Paul is getting to that. Verse 32, let's read it one more time. Verse 32, this is a mystery. It's profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You have been, I have been placed together in our marriages, in our relationships to help our sanctification. To help our sanctification process. The cleaning up process. This is the relationship that Jesus has with the church. It's a sanctifying one, meaning he is constantly purifying us, breaking sins in our life. Now look, I don't know how it is at your house, at my house, me and Erin, we have different things that we do like chore-wise. There's some things that she mostly does. I help when the time comes to help. There's some things that I mostly do. She helps when the time comes to help. Teamwork makes the dream work. I do a lot of the washing at my house. I do a lot of the washing at my house. God love Erin. I'm glad she's not in here. She probably needs to be to defend herself. But early in our marriage, I realized if the clothes were going to get washed on a timely order, I didn't say put up. I did not say put up. But I did say clean. That I thought I would have to step in and do laundry every once in a while, every once in a while. My children will drop something on their shirt. The worst is food with oil in the food. Y'all know what I'm trying to say here? It ain't a one-wash job. I get mad at that stuff. Not like I can't believe, but like I'm going to get this stain out of this shirt because we just dropped $30 on it. Dead gummit, we're getting this oily stain out of this shirt. I got a process that I work through on this, right? Sanctification is a process. It don't happen overnight. You don't make a disciple overnight. This is a process. You ain't the same person right now as when you got saved. And if you are, you have been growing very, very, very slow. This is a process in our lives. Marriage helps us The process your spouse is helping you to be holy in this Christian marriage. How you are in a state of learning to serve, you are in a state of learning to wash feet, you are in a state of learning to love someone who is undeserving at times, and I can't think of any better picture in the gospel or of the gospel than someone who receives love who isn't deserving of it. Can you? Who makes it to heaven? preached a couple of funerals this last week. It's the, it's the, it's the question on everyone's mind when they go to a funeral. Who makes it to heaven? Easy. Easy. Those who trust trusted Christ. Easy, right? Yes. But from this faith flow actions... This, this heaven that we will be in one day, the, those that are there, they learned to serve God on the earth. They, they learned to forgive on the earth. They, they learn to live in thanksgiving. They learn to consider the needs of others. They learn to operate in prayer. They, they learn this. It didn't happen overnight. This is a learned process. They, they learn to operate in Matthew 6, verse 14, where Jesus says, If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Those that are in heaven through Christ, through trusting Christ, learn to operate and to live out these things in their life. So watch this. Marriage is accomplishing this in your life right now. As you learn to love your spouse who is undeserving, you look more and more like Jesus every day. Every day. You say, Well, you don't know my spouse. It's very hard for me to love them. It very well may be. But I promise you, you are just as hard to love. What's the problem in all this? Sin. Sin, sin in our hearts, Sin in our selfishness, the outside attack on marriage that is certainly real in our society, in our culture the curse of sin this is what powers was was speaking toward this morning preaching toward this morning in worship is that one day we will not have the curse of sin in our life but sin and selfishness make all of this so so difficult i told you a couple of weeks ago that often marriage is not that, that marriage is not often 50-50 rather it's 70-30 and oftentimes it feels like you're giving the 70% and your spouse is only giving the 30%. The real problem comes in and that's how marriage looks like oftentimes. The real problem is is if you're giving the 30 and you never get out of that. It would create a lot of frustration and a lot of bitterness. A lot of resentment. And so if you're in a place in your marriage where you are the one giving 30%, which rarely anyone ever thinks they are, but it takes introspection and conviction of the Holy Spirit for you and me to open our eyes and go, you know what, I'm not loving my wife like I should. I'm not loving and submitting to my husband like I should. And by the way, if you're not loving your wife, it makes it very difficult for a woman to submit and respect you. And that works the other way around. It's this circular thing that's going on and can only be done in the power of the Holy Spirit and very few of us ever think that we're giving the 30%. Most of us, we really think too highly of ourselves that we're really giving the 70%. So we need God to open our eyes. And if you're in this place and you feel like, you know what, my marriage is not right, run to Christ. If you're a man in here and you feel like that your marriage is not right, you are held accountable to God to be the one to have the conversation. Quit waiting on your wife to sit down with you and go, hey, we need to talk. There's a problem. It's not her job. As a Christian man, it is your job to have the conversation. Sit down with your wife. And according to the book of 1 Peter, sit down with her in gentleness and understanding. She's fragile. She's fragile like an expensive vase that must be taken care of. And your tone of voice in that means everything I'm speaking this, ask my staff, ask my wife. I have the, ask some of you guys, I have the worst tone of voice at times. The worst. And so we sit down together with much grace, with much love, with much patience. But men, we are called to be the manager spiritually of our marriage And if we aren't, then you are letting your wife do that. And it's not the way God intended or called for it to be. Women, if your wife, if your women, if your husband is not the spiritual leader of your household, then you press on because your children need it. And you pray for him to catch up. But you press on leading your children toward Christ John MacArthur says we have not had the best examples to model our marriages from marriage has been attacked to become the sacrificial lamb of the sexual revolution the homosexual revolution and the women's liberation movement basically what all of that boils down to is that marriage has become taken so lightly today and everyone has become so independent that even making statements like this, are you ready? Women, there is no greater calling in your life than to give your life towards your husband and your children. That is controversial. Can you believe that? Men, there is no greater calling in your life than to love and to serve your wife and to give your life for your family. There is no greater calling in that in your life. The Jews allowed divorce for anything, cooking a bad meal. Can you believe that? You could get a divorce, write your wife a certificate of divorce if she cooked a bad meal. That's how how lightly marriage vows were taken in these days. The Roman law allowed a man to kill his wife if she committed adultery. But if he committed adultery, she could lay no hand on him. And there was no trial. That's Roman law. What's your point, Mike? My point is, is that the secular world has always taken marriage lightly. And if you really want to feel the weight of the teachings of the Bible on marriage, if you really want to feel the weight of it, then dive down into what divorce and remarriage looks like. Because it's one of the hardest teachings in the Bible that I've ever come across. Jesus' words, not Paul's. Jesus' words. I'm trying to flesh that out and work that out in my own spirit right now. I want to talk a little bit about it next week. I want to get into some things next week because we need to because the text lends itself to this. Hollywood is definitely not our standard. The promise of Mr. Right, Prince Charming, and the most perfect, beautiful fantasy princes out there, it's fake. It's absolutely fake. Think about this, students. If there was one person out there, only one, And that's who you're supposed to marry. Only one person, and they are Mr. Perfect and Mrs. Perfect, and they are just. And you have got to meet them, because if you don't meet them, then you're never going to be satisfied. Right? There's only one person in the world. What happens? What happens when one person marries the wrong person? You know what happens? You'll never meet that person. The reality is, there is nobody who's perfect. Find someone who loves God with all of their heart. Not a nominal Christian. You know what nominal Christianity is? Yeah, I love Jesus, but I don't live my life for him. Yeah, I go to church, but I don't experience God when I'm here. Nominal Christianity. Find someone who loves God with all of their heart. And that person will know how to love you with all their heart. Okay? And here's the deal. You're going to get married, and your marriage is going to be the hardest, most beautiful relationship that you'll ever have. It will be extremely difficult. And God has called you to love that person until death do you part. This is a very, very weighty issue. I tell my kids this. The greatest decisions that they will have to make all revolve around relationships. Are you ready? Their relationship with God, who they choose to marry, and who their friends are going to be. And who you choose to marry is huge. It's huge. Do not, girls, do not choose a man. that you have to feel like you have to walk around eggshells on or he will be so mad at you and will be furious with you. Do not choose that man. He will be like that for the rest of his life. You do not want to be in a marriage where your husband is constantly angry with you and is a complete jerk all the time. And if I'm describing a man out here, get right with Jesus. I'm describing myself sometimes. I've looked at myself in conversations with my wife and said, I'm a complete jerk right now and I apologize. This is a huge decision that you will make one day. Do not make it lightly. Do not make it lightly. The Kardashians are certainly not our standard for marriage. And then it's the very Hollywood people who make the movies which fill our mind up with what marriage is supposed to be like. They ain't even got a clue. got to press on, brothers and sisters. Let's get to the text. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. 11.30, good grief. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Verse 25, Paul says that. Remember, we talked about submission last week, which we dealt with uh, two weeks ago. It means lowering yourself, to humble yourself, to meet the needs. Ladies, this is what Paul is calling us out. It doesn't mean that men don't do that too. In fact, everything about that idea is in the word love. It's what Jesus does. The husband loves as Christ loved. Christ lowers himself. He washes feet. In fact, that's one of the... The calls right here, which I can't even get to today, is to to wash your family, your wife's feet with the word. You know what that means, brothers brothers in Christ? You know what that means? It means at some point we open up our Bible and read to our families. And if I have no commentary on what the Bible says, just read it. There's power in the word. Just read it. Get to the dinner table, men, with your family and open up a text that you've thought about on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and get to the dinner table on Thursday and just open up your Bible and don't have anything to say about it other than I've just thought about this passage. It's just been on my heart. Let me read it. Read it. Y'all got any thoughts about it? There's none because it's completely awkward at this point and go, then let's pray and bless the food. You know what you've done? You've led your family. Christ lowers himself to love. He he washes disciples' feet. The command here is not to take command. That's not it. In fact, it doesn't say take command, husbands. Doesn't say it. Doesn't say order her around. Not there. It says love. The husband is asking himself constantly, how can I make my marriage a place of rest? The husband is asking himself, how can I make my home a haven for peace for my wife and my children? The husband is asking himself, how can I, best as I can, meet my wife's needs, knowing that only God can meet her needs, but he's placed me here. Lord, how can I meet Aaron's needs the best that I can? So biblical leadership becomes servant leadership. It's not domineering. It's not authoritative. Christ meets our needs. Christ protects us. Christ shelters us. Christ is gentle with us. Christ meets our spiritual needs. The love here in First Corinthians 13... Is the word agape uh, in Ephesians 5. is the same word in 1 Corinthians 13. It's agape. It, it's a, it's the, the, the type of love that is of the will, which means you choose this love. Even when you think you can't, God empowers you to be able to choose to love. But love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not self-seeking or rude. It is not arrogant. Here it is. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always serves, always perseveres. Love, agape love, the love of the will which the Holy Spirit gives us. That kind of love never fails. This kind of love gives when circumstances shouldn't require it to. The husband chooses any way to love in spite of circumstances. We had a woman, uh, excuse me, a man call us years ago, me and brother Justin. And he called us years ago and this is just a serious conversation. He said, guys, he said, I'm getting divorced. I'm, I'm I'm with another person now, but I'm getting divorced and and basically the reason that I'm getting divorced is because my wife has deprived me from any physical activity for years. That is that as honest as we can get on a Sunday morning, right? It's real. So we're listening. And I think he was really expecting some sympathy for for him. And we listened. We just don't love any other, one another anymore. I haven't been intimate with my wife in years. She's deprived me for years and years and years, and it's just uh, absolutely uh, uh, terrible. And and I couldn't stand it anymore. And a man has needs. That's where, that's where the conversation went. The conversation kept going, and it was it's just crazy how how much of a liar we are in our own hearts. How we can fool ourselves. Our hearts are idle factories. And and here is this man. In the same conversation, in the next breath, asking God to bless. What? We're listening. He says, what do you think that we should do? What do you think that I should do? And Justin looked at him or said over the phone, you need to go home and love your wife. But I'm not receiving what I need. And look, it's... it's, that's another teaching out of the text. There's another conversation out of the text. That husband and wife, they, got, they have some deep-seated issues that, are, that go way beyond him not getting intimate. There's deep-seated issues, maybe some health issues there in her body, maybe some, maybe some bitterness. I don't know, but have a conversation. How about that? Watch this. This love in the text, men loves even when you ain't getting it. You tracking with me this morning? It's not personal needs. It's it's serving. It's serving. And, and I'm not I'm not telling you that that couple doesn't didn't need deep marital counseling and and and, and their. It takes two to dance to make problems happen. Look, that's a whole other conversation, but but the man was completely in the wrong thinking that it's okay to do what I got to do because my needs aren't getting met. That's not love, brothers and sisters. That's lust. That's lust. God is never in that. That's not what this text is. And some of us have convinced ourselves that's why I'll run to pornography. It'll never satisfy. It'll never satisfy. 1135. Powers, come on up. Come on up. That that very last screen, let's put it up there. I'm I'm cutting stuff out. I'm cutting stuff out. The very last one. Um, This conversation is so difficult because of the number of scenarios that are in here. This only scratches the surface. Married unbelievers. You know, and I mentioned this two weeks ago. Can married unbelievers have a happy marriage? Yes. But it would be like watching a really good movie that's got a punch at the end, and you watch the movie, and you like the movie, but then you just skip out on the last five minutes of Shawshank Redemption, and you don't even know what happens. If you don't know Shawshank Redemption, I'm sure it's on TBS here t- this afternoon. <laughs> you're going to miss out on the ending. You don't even know why you're married. Sure, you have fun going going to the beach and jet skiing and doing everything that married you, you love it. It's great, fantastic. But you're missing the purpose of marriage and married believers who sin. Uh, th- that's, that's everyone who's married in here. And there's so many, there's so many scenarios in married believers who sin. I was looking down my notes on this, I don't have time to get into all this, but, but, but in every one of these, just about every one of these, somebody can be very bitter, and I would tell you if you're bitter in any of, this, any of these conversations, if you're bitter, divorced and bitter, remarried and bitter, the widow who's bitter, uh, married to an unbeliever who's bitter, uh, married to the wrong spouse, which we said last time was really not possible. Uh, if you're married, you're married to the right one. You've married a sinner. They've married a sinner. Uh, not married and living together. We dealt with that one last time. Single. I know single people who are bitter. Every one of these. I, I, this was an idea that I had. Bitterness can control. You'll never, you'll never be satisfied. You'll never be satisfied in the Lord until, until you let bitterness go. It's destroying you. There's a good chance that's why you don't have any joy in your marriage right now. You, you you've been wounded possibly, or you, something in your life has made you extremely bitter. And until you go to the Lord with that and drop that, and then get in obedience with what the Lord has called you to be and who He's called you to be, you'll never be satisfied. You'll never be satisfied. You, particularly married folks, you will walk through a joyless marriage forever. How long you want? not supposed to be like that. Jesus can pour joy into your marriage. Well, you don't know my circumstance. I I don't. I don't. But I know this. I know that the cross and I know that uh, the resurrection of Christ and I know that the Holy Spirit is real and I know that he can pour and fix, pour inside of your marriage and fix anything going on in your life. I know he can. I know he can. If I didn't believe that, I need to quit. I need to quit preaching. We'll get with some of this more next week if you're here today and you think Mike I have failed this miserably repent run to God confess and bask in the mercy of the cross I mean that's it that's the gospel and then trust that he's forgiven repent Father God We're thankful for the cross of Jesus. Help us, Lord Jesus. Help marriages in here to walk with you. I pray, Lord, for these teenagers that one day will be married. God, would you show them exactly who they need to be with. God, I pray that they do not find themselves in a marriage with a man or a woman who says that they love you but really don't know you. And God, I pray you would reveal that to them. Help them, Father God. Help them to be holy until they get married. pray God you would give them the power to fight that battle. That battle is so real. I pray God you would give them the strength for that. God, whatever the case is today, Father, call your people to repentance. Call your people to worship in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. If you're lost here, you need Jesus. The altar is open. Call on the name of the Lord. You shall be saved. The altar is open for anyone in this place that wants to talk to the Lord. Let's stand together. Let's begin to sing together.